Hey everyone, and welcome to hashtag Jungian Bits Information Podcast. My name is Nicholas Toko, and I'm the host and author of hashtag Jungian Bits of Information, a blog, podcast, and individual and workplace transformation service dedicated to exploring the unconscious in the workplace, specifically the dynamics between the individual psyche and the workplace. I'm also a freelance organizational effectiveness consultant and a training Jungian analyst at the International School of Analytical Psychology, also known as ISAP, and based in Zurich, Switzerland, where I also live. Joining me today is Doris Fulgraber. Doris and I met at a typology conference earlier this year, run by the British Association of Psychological Type, of which I'm a co-opted board member. We were in a breakout room discussing typology, and I was really struck by Doris. Perhaps it was the feeling function. And I immediately knew that I wanted to talk to her about the feeling function. So I'm really, really excited to have her on the podcast. Doris is a relationship coach who helps couples communicate better and feel more connected using personality type insights. Her love profiles report compares both partners types side by side and explains practical strategies how to bridge relationship differences. To download a sample report, visit yourloveprofiles.com. Today, we'll be exploring the feeling function, one of the four main functions of the psyche, including sensation, intuition, and thinking. And we'll be exploring the feeling function from a relationship perspective. Welcome, Doris, and how are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent. So I'm really, really happy that you're here. So I'm based in Zurich and you're based in, just for our, our listeners? Brooklyn, New York, where Wonderful. it is right now, a bit of an overcast morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's nearly five o'clock here in, well, just after five o'clock in Zurich. It's sunny, but quite cold. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm just so excited to have you uh, on the podcast. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you came to the world of personality type. What was your journey like? Sure. Um, my journey was a little convoluted because I actually started out my professional career as an executive assistant. I did. I grew up in Germany. I did an apprenticeship to be a secretary and then uh, decided that wasn't for me and went off to study human resources management. And via lots of different ways, and after having lived in lots of different countries, I got certified in as a coach, as a life coach in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when my husband and I moved to the United States. And so I started my coaching practice and also worked as a cross-cultural trainer with expats. Mm -hmm. And then I you know, found that the cultural differences explain a lot, but not everything. So I decided to get certified in the Myers-Briggs type indicator, MBTI, in 2010. And I became a master practitioner in 2012. And since then, have been using both lenses. So the, the type lens and the cultural lens to work with executives and expats and teams also individuals, and uh, more recently, I've been working with couples. Wonderful. And can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, about Myers-Briggs? Because I, I, I was certified in uh, MBTI not too long ago, I think maybe three years ago. So I was fairly late in the game. Mm -hmm. I had I have been trained in other um, personality questionnaires, but it took me a while to... Um, to get certified, I've I've done the questionnaires many times, and um, I initially came out as an extroverted thinking type, and I was absolutely convinced that that was my type. But as I got older, actually, I realised that wasn't quite true, and it was more extroverted sensation. Uh, so my type is uh, ESFP, uh, so extrovert sensation, introverted feeling, perception. Um, what's your type, and and can you tell us a little bit about Myers Briggs? Sure. So um, the Myers-Briggs, especially in the United States, is very well known. It's a questionnaire that has been around since the 1940s and that has been used in um, a lot of, you know, university settings and, and also career settings, I think, since the 1980s, um, a lot more. And it is a questionnaire that was developed in the 19... Um, 
yeah, 1930s, 1940s, I guess, by mm -hmm. a mother-daughter pair here in America based on the works of Carl Jung's personality type, which this year we're celebrating the centennial, of course, his book Psychologische Typen was mm. first published in German in 1921 and then translated into English in 1923. And so basically um, these two ladies or the, the mother, I should say, um, read the book, was struck by it because she had been having similar observations of her children about how you know, people behave differently. And so she felt that there should be a way to make the Jungian framework accessible to the general public. Right. And this is a very roundabout way of saying it, sorry. So the, the, um, the Myers-Briggs questionnaire is one way of arriving at what your type preferences are according to the Jungian type framework. So mm -hmm. Jung, of course, started out in um, his work observing his patients over about a decade and saying, uh, seeing that some are more drawn to the outside world and some are more drawn to the inside world. And those are the, 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 the dichotomies that he first identified of extroversion and introversion. Right. And then um, following up from that, actually, I think I read somewhere that he, he started the uh, type research in that way because he wanted to understand the differences between Freud and Adler yes. at the time, yes, right? Two strong influences. Um, and he wanted to understand how those two great thinkers differ so much in their approaches. And so extroversion, introversion came out. And then later he found the other functions that you mentioned, sensing, intuiting for information processing, and then thinking and feeling for decision-making. And so yeah, long story short, the book came out, it had an impact, it made sense of a lot of um, interpersonal relationships, and the, um, Catherine Briggs was trying to make it accessible to the general public because she saw, she saw um, you know, how, ways to apply it in better understanding yourself and others. And um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do want to say, because it's, it's one of those um, elephants in the room, I guess there is a lot of criticism of the indicator and you were saying that you were, you were, uh, you know, falsely identified as a, as someone with a thinking preference at first. It's in the nature of the beast that self-reporting instruments always carry a degree of inaccuracy with them because basically mm -hmm. you're the, the project or the, the questionnaire in this case, they are designed to um, help you sort between two equally viable options. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the items are described in a way that they just get at everyday uh, instances, you know, to, to try and help you understand or to try and sort between everyday behaviors, what you would do, because obviously our behavior in a, um, in a crisis would be different. So personality in this regard um what the what the mbti and what i think jung was trying to get at is what are the characteristics that yeah. somewhat explain why we do what we do yeah and, that's right um, and, the, and the book was um i think he said it in german which is great uh psychological types uh, published in 1921 yep. uh it's on my recommended uh, my motivational reading list on my website um i i highly recommend people read it it's it's quite an accessible book to read i think when you actually get to his descriptions of the types you know it it's because it, jung's writing is known as being quite convoluted and, and quite difficult to read but I find that book, you know, I, I really recommend to anyone who wants a good grounding in uh, Jungian psychological types. And and just on your point about the mis mistyping, I think I was partly to blame for that. I I was a very ambitious uh, management consultant when I was a lot younger, and um, I I I really identified with with that. And so having extroverted thinking, you know, this ability to distill a lot of information as a consultant and, and advise my clients i just felt that was me but actually mm. there was there was one clue throughout my career that gave it away that and that's what prompted me to realize that it, it wasn't my preference and prior to presentations uh leading up to a big presentation i'd get incredibly nervous and anxious 
And it wasn't the idea of presenting, it was the questions that I'd get at the end, which I wasn't <laughs> particularly keen on because I had I was I was presenting so much information that I didn't have a lot of depth in any of it. And so I'd almost get stage fright. But once I'd start presenting, I'd really, really enjoy it. And I realized the sensation of presenting, of being in the here and now, I really enjoyed that bit, but not the the extensive thinking that I had to then sort of summarize at the end. And and that's what got me thinking that maybe expert thinking isn't my preferred type and that I'd kind of repressed a part of me for a very long time and actually it was actually that sensation mm-hmm. it wasn't long after that that i started running marathons so i was a runner for a very long time sensation just suddenly came back into my life <laughs> after i realized that expert thinking was not my uh, my preferred function um yeah. so i think i was yeah partly to blame for that <laughs> it's i mean th- th- that's probably not the words i would use but yeah it's <laughs> So what what I'm trying to say, and you know, for your listeners, if if and when you take any kind of psychometric assessment for the first time, you you get out what you put in. You know, the things, the the items that you answer are designed to help you sort between the preferences. And if you say that, you know, eight times out of ten you prefer to stay home instead of going out or interacting with other people, then the instrument is likely going to tell you that you probably have introversion preferences so mm. and and that's all that is um i think one uh, you you also um hinted at something or if if i may reframe uh, and rephrase that some people um answer it's it's tempting to answer the questionnaire from a point of view of what's going to get me to where i want to be mm-hmm. so some people answer the like it's easy to answer the questionnaire from a point of view of okay who do i want to be and you know who has have my parents told me i was yes. and so it's important to remember again with with jungian type specifically and i think it gets lost a lot in you know the popular psychology um of psychometric instruments it's um you need to take your time with it and you need to answer it from a place of who you have always been and and who you are at your core to use the linda barons terminology um linda barons of course um you know um, uh, I mean, legend, <laughs> living yes. legend, mentor, <laughs> yes. and uh, idol in the world of of personality type, who came up with her own uh, frameworks that I've, you know, I've had the the pleasure and and privilege to working with her and studying with her for many years. So it's it's who you are at your core, and it's accepting who you are at your core mm. and knowing that there is no better or worse way to be. It's just who you are, and then once you have the awareness of who you are, then you can work with that and then you can say all right well this is what comes naturally to me but that doesn't mean that i'm in this box that i can't learn other things mm-hmm. you know yeah that's the exactly. beauty of of behavior we are we're always growing and yeah. as an enfj of course i would say that because yeah. that's what i believe <laughs> <laughs> totally get it and you know it, it i i want my viewers to know that it wasn't that extroverted thinking wasn't you know um it wasn't a preferred function but i could do extroverted thinking it just wasn't of course my lead function um yeah. what i was repressing and i you know i'm using that terms maybe in a sort of analytic way but i was not really living my true self as you said my core being and so I was having there these anxieties go. around presentations that was such a discomfort for me. But mm-hmm. instead of getting possessed by it and just thinking, I'm, um, I don't like presentations, actually, I really questioned it. I thought, why am I so nervous before and in, before these presentations when actually when I present it, I'm absolutely fine. And, and that's, you know, that's when I became conscious and realized, right, uh, maybe maybe it's a, it's a different lead function. So, yeah. so yeah, no, that's Awareness- really great. Awareness is a wonderful thing. And for anybody who has any doubts, the, you know, the Jungian framework or even the, the Myers-Briggs, you know, the entrance to it is, uh, yeah, is a great way to, to just mm-hmm. become aware. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the feeling function. What does the feeling function mean to you and how significant is it and why? So my preferences are for extroversion, intuiting, feeling, and judging. The whole type description, um, the four letters would be ENFJ. Mm-hmm. And again, just, you know, <laughs> stop me if I'm going too basic, but 
I always like to say that the four letters or for somebody who takes a questionnaire that, you know, comes out with the four letters, it's, they are a shorthand for a mountain of information underneath that you can, you know, use again for awareness and several steps and several layers. So it's, if you just, you know, if you look at ENFJ and say, oh, you're, you're an extrovert, don't reduce people to just one letter. In fact, people can't be reduced to four letters, right? We are so much more complex than that. Absolutely. But it is the young, again, so it's just sticking to type. I mentioned before I use type and culture, and now I'm, I'm doing a master's in psychology and the biopsychosocial approach is being talked about a lot. So people, we are super complex. That just right off the bat mm. and continuing into uh, diving deeper a little bit into this this type framework for people with ENFJ preferences, extroverted feeling is the dominant function. Mm -hmm. So dominant means it's the thing we can't not do. Our brain is wired for connection because every every function has a product. Every function is something, um, you know, has something that it does. And the extroverted feeling function leads to connecting with other people that sometimes comes out as trying to, you know, avoid conflict and remain in harmony, or uh, it comes out as putting other people's needs ahead of your own. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that is my, that's my lead function. It's a thing I can't not do. It's the lens through which I interpret the world. Um, I basically look at people and think, okay, we're, you know, every, the, the, <laughs> how does it go? The, the strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. <laughs> I, that's, I believe that I live by that. Um, I'm gullible as all get out. You know, you will, I will, I always believe in, in, in the best in people. Um, just a little anecdote. So for, for one of the things that I noticed or how I know that I have extroverted feeling preferences is when I walk through the streets of New York, I try to make eye contact and smile at everyone. Wow. It's, really? You know, it's, yeah, it's terrible and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and that's how, you, you know, and I mean, I did that when we first moved here. Now we live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a lot nicer than Manhattan and we don't have to get into the differences between <laughs> Brooklyn and Manhattan. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So just because that's my dominant function, it doesn't mean that I can't also do other things, but it is the thing that my brain goes to first. Mm. So it's about connecting and um, yeah. Yeah, for some of for our listeners, just to, just to list some things that I've written here about extroverted feeling, uh, highly gregarious, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with some of these descriptions, <laughs> highly gregarious, empathetic and, and self-sacrificing. Um, they possess the personal qualities that make them highly related. And I think I certainly saw that when I first met you. I know it was on Zoom or in a breakout room, but I found you really highly relatable. And that just really, you know, really, really struck me. Um, I have a friend who also has extroverted feelings. So this, this description, I think, just is fits them like a glove. They can move from one social situation to the next, always feeling at ease with people around them. Uh, they are forever adapting to external conditions, extending their empathy to others and to what those people hold dear. Um, certainly in the workplace, I think that they are people who will, um, they often, I call standard bearers of conventional values and harmonious relationships. So mm -hmm. these you know, extra feeling in the workplace will, as you said, want to harmonize, want to affirm and support groups. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, something I, I have a lot of male friends who have extroverted feeling. I seem to have that a lot of that in my my own network, particularly men. So my very close male friends are extroverted feeling types, and I love that about them. And but what I find is that they often make sacrifices uh, for their own will. They make sacrifices for their own well-being, uh, for the benefit of the family or the group or the organization or the nation. They always think of others mm -hmm. first. And I always right. find myself saying, well, when are you going to think of you? You know, maybe, you know, when when do you come into play? And I wonder for you, when does when do you come into sort of focus? Uh, so not not to be too meta right this moment but that is such an esfp thing to say because <laughs> so as somebody with esfp preferences your auxiliary function 
introverted feeling, how yes. you try to be helpful to others, introverted feeling um, is about your own values and what is important to you and evaluating, you know, good, bad, right, wrong, yes, no, kind of. Um, and the fact that you have introverted feeling as your auxiliary function, it means that is, that is, you know, how you're, how you're trying to help other people. So introverted feeling for an extroverted feeling dominant mm -hmm. is in the fifth position of oh, wow. the, right. the function stack, which means in the, the archetypal energy that is carried by that function, which is something that I've recently been getting into. And I just want to recommend the book by Mark Hunsaker, Depth mm -hmm. Typology, super amazing. Anyway, this is based on Dr. John Beebe's model of the, the eight functions. And um, he was doing a, a very Jungian thing, really, uh, analyzing his own experience and then putting an emotional value on the way that the functions were playing out in his life. And then he was corresponding archetypal energies with that emotion, with the position of the function in the stack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might have to rewind that and, and listen to it again. I'm sorry if that was too dense. Anyway. No, it's fine. Um, it's so totally fine. So... So for somebody with extroverted feeling, the thing that we can't not do, remember, is connecting to others. So if you're asking us to connect to ourselves, to introverted feeling, to what our values are, it feels like the, the antithesis of what we are wired to do. Wow. Mm. And it's not that we want to give ourselves up. It's a lot of that. And I want to be also very cognizant here about especially, you know, if, if, and when we start talking a little more or get deeper into the relationship things, obviously it can, to somebody who doesn't have extroverted feeling preferences high up ish in their stack, it can sound as if we are just martyrs to the cause, as if we mm -hmm. give ourselves up completely. Obviously we have a line, obviously we want to make sure that we don't fall off the cliff into codependency or that our self-esteem doesn't get too many you know, hits and is, and, and starts becoming low. So I will say though, that for things um, that are not that important to us, harmony will always kind of prevail. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the, if I can go back to the extroverted feeling, if extroverted feeling is your first, then introverted feeling is your fifth. And the emotion that that fifth uh, function carries is kind of oppositional. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's the opposite of what we want to do. It feels contrarian. It feels like, you know, maybe if we get, it's kind of how we get stubborn. So if, and when you violate a, a deeply held value of ours, you will know. But it's going yeah. to take a lot for us yes. to give up on a person, to give up on a situation, yeah. because we always <clears throat> feel like, okay, we can, you mentioned empathy, we can see the other person's point of view. Mm. So we can, we um, are, we are understanding of another person's point of view, and we are therefore likely to say, okay, it makes sense, because if we were in that position, we would probably be doing the same. So you know, we're looking at how can we ad adapt our own behavior mm -hmm. to fit, because like you said, it's, um, there is very much a sense of let's keep the group together. Let's, you know, and I, I'm not, it depends. Uh, extroverted feeling obviously comes in very different flavors, but here's, here's something that I will say just, you know, for, for myself, I was in Dario Nardi's neuroscience of type, mm -hmm. um, a certification in 2012 and I it's something he said during the class just stuck with me um, where he said extroverted feeling types you know you just want to hug the world <laughs> and that's what it is yeah. we worry about famine we worry about uh, you know droughts we worry about global warming and I know everybody worries about them to to a certain extent but like the, the, the extroverted feeling concerns extend beyond us to yeah. something bigger. Yeah, that's, that's a really great way to describe it because uh, for me, as you know, as you've just described, I've got introverted feelings. So for me, I'm very idealistic to the core and a lot of people don't realize that because introverted feeling is very difficult to read. So people don't necessarily know I've got these very 
Well, it's introverted. So yeah, unless yeah. you unless you tell us about unless, it, we won't know yeah, what's important exactly. to you. Yeah. And I forget, <laughs> and I often think, well, of course they know this, but I, I'm always surprised people aren't, right? So I've got these um, these very sort of idealistic ideas, and I often seek events, people, circumstances, causes in the world, not all of them, just some, that fit with my apprehended inner ideals. Um, and I'm very passionate about them. I'm very committed to them. They're very true and they're very meaningful to me. I often make decisions because it's auxiliary by my introverted feeling. And like you said, in my mind, I've made the decision, but I forget everyone else doesn't know I've made that decision and I've already made a decision based on that. And no one will know how I reached that decision, but it's been my own internal process and, and, and those feeling values that are, they're very dear to me and they're not, you know, they could be images, they could be ideals but it's yeah they, it's um it's a very sort of intense well as you can see i'm struggling to find the words that capture capture it it's it's yeah. it's hard for me to describe it to people because it's really deeply deeply felt um yeah and that's that's the thing sometimes i i have um a number of friends with infp preferences where introverted feeling is the dominant um and it's it's glorious when they get to describing it because the language is usually quite rich as well but yes. yeah it's it's hard to come by it's a it's a, you know some people describe it as just an, a feeling and you know it you know it's a it's an it's not an emotion but it's a just an a body thing you know so yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i think if you're artistically or poetically endowed then i think it can mm. be quite easy to express introverted feeling hence that what you just said it can be actually very beautiful to hear it mm. so poetry can sometimes help me express a feeling music as well um maybe some sort of image i'll say yeah that's exactly how i'm feeling yeah. Um, so yeah that's great so we've looked at introverted and extroverted feeling let's take a little bit um, and see how you use typology and in particular the feeling function introverted or extroverted in your work with couples can you tell us a little bit a little bit more about your work with couples sure so um and i've been i've been wondering how to talk about this because you you just mentioned it so thinking and feeling according right. to the jungian framework are the decision making functions and the the vernacular or the terms that we use today so thinking obviously sounds rational and feeling sounds emotional that's not how jung intended it to be because thinking and feeling are both rational decision making processes mm -hmm. um as in they happen in the head um and so feeling is about subjective values and you know thinking would be about objective values and so obviously if you have a couple where thinking and feeling are um where one partner has thinking preferences and one partner has feeling preferences you'd have to have an extra bit of communication to explain here's why i think this is important or here's how i came you know to make this decision what right. whatever it might be and um the work that I do with couples is, again, everything begins with awareness. So mm -hmm. I take my couples, my clients through a self-discovery process. The, like we mentioned at the top of the hour, the Myers-Briggs indicator is available to them because like I said, I'm a master practitioner, so I have, they are licensed, I have access to them. I'm happy to facilitate that if that is you know their wish. And the other option that I also like to like to do is Dr. Linda Behrens' approach. I've also mentioned her before. So mm -hmm. um, she uses an, the, that self-discovery process where we go through interaction styles first and then essential motivators. So basically, it's I, I have a meeting with each um, individual to get at what their type preferences would be, th those four letters. Okay. And then I compile a report with how those preferences usually show up in relationships. And thank you for mentioning, if somebody wants to follow along, you can you know, pause now, go to yourloveprofiles.com, download um, a sample report, and then, and then you can see what that looks like. Because even if you have couples who have, for example, feeling in common, so somebody um, 
with extroverted, this, you know, somebody might have extroverted feeling and somebody might have introverted feeling. Those are different flavors of the feeling function, as I think we've we've teased out. So mm. if one of the partners tends to look at, well, but this is important to me, and so the other partner says, oh, but this is important for us, you know, you, you can imagine the kind of, of conversations that might come out and um, so it's not just the difference between thinking and feeling it's also the difference within the feeling function and then of course even if you have two partners with extroverted feeling high up in their in their function stack they are still individuals with their own ideas as well and in our sessions we kind of draw out on um, you know how did you come to assign the meaning that you assign to to the things that are meaningful in your life and to those values that you've created, which in turn inform the decisions you make. Yeah, some and you know, looking at your website, I could see it was all about helping people couples to communicate better, helping them to feel more connected, um, have a more sorry, this sounds very rational, have a more uh, effective relationship. Is there anything yeah. else you can tell us about your technique to get the couple to communicate better and feel more connected i'm quite interested to to, to see what that what does that look like <clears throat> so um some of the couples who who come to me uh, talk about the differences that they experience or you know where the um situations happen that they disagree and a lot of the times understanding your type preferences shows that it's nobody is doing anything on purpose mm -hmm. right so um so for i mean i got into the couple's work because of my my own experience i've been happily married more or less for uh <laughs> we what is it 14 and a half years now and about 10 years ago we had a um a rupture and we were about to separate and it was really it was a very very difficult time Mm. and um we all we saw a counselor i think twice and that was enough to figure stuff out and at the same time i put our type preferences next to each other side by side because i had been aware of them i just hadn't used that knowledge and so i put them side by side and our differences were really there they, there they were black on white and what took us you know years to figure out um, was just there on the page. And then I thought, all right, well, you know, let's, let's actually live by this knowledge now. Like, like, let's not ignore it. I know that I have extroversion feeling preferences. So here are some things that I need. I know that he has introverted thinking preferences. So he's an introverted thinking type, which is, you know, the opposite, mm. um, which is why we're, we were attracted to one another in, in the first place, I think, because obviously we, we complement each other. Yes, usually right. but yeah in the day-to-day -day, um disagreements come up and misalignments come up and so yeah it's the the thinking how do i put so, int so introverted thinking my understanding is that people who favor it uh, are drawn to the intensity of the search of, of some sort of vague idea right and they pursue their understanding of it with unswerving dedication it's almost like you're drawn to the intensity of the connection with the other person. They're drawn to more of an intensity of a of a vague idea there in a mind that they intensively try and discover and to pursue their understanding of it with unswerving dedication. So I can see how there could have been a that real tension between you two because you're trying to connect with the, with individuals and he is perhaps trying to connect with some sort of vague idea that he hadn't even told you about, right? Um, I don't, I mean, my particular husband, I don't know about vague ideas so much, but he definitely likes the analysis. He likes, mm. you know, he likes to solve problems and he's, he's just, you know, very smart and um, he has INTP preferences and he's from Spain. So, <laughs> you know, the Spaniard and the German, oh yeah, there are time issues. <laughs> the stereotypes are true. You know, the stereotypes exist for a reason, I'm going to say. Um, and he has, you know, he, he is a, a thinking type. I'm a feeling type. I mean, we watch TV together and we, what any, whatever show we watch, because I, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm just one extroverted feeling type. Not everybody is like this, but I cry at the drop of a hat. 
mm-hmm. for happy things and for for sad things because I feel with the person on the screen, right? I'm empathizing. Yeah. That's it. I'm in that. I'm I'm transported. I'm in that uh, uh, moment. And he looks at me. Are you crying? And I will t- say to him. Um, or he will say, why are you crying? And I will say, why are you not crying? Because this is so emotional, <laughs> right? So, and that's, that's yeah, that's a banal example. But it's um, now that we have the language to use, because we used to have conversations about, you know, this, this fund, have you heard of the fundamental attribution error? No, where we... So attribution is a concept in psychology where we find explanations for the behavior of other people. Mm -hmm. And because we are in our own heads and we know the intention with which we undertake an action, we will always, uh, or, or, you know, we are, it's easy to attribute results of our actions to what was happening at the time. So if we were rude to the cashier, it's because we were tired, because we know we were tired. If somebody else is rude to the cashier, the, the fundamental attribution error tends to be we attribute that behavior to their personality and say, oh, they are a rude person. Mm. So, and that is something that happens in relationship, unless you are aware of it, you will say, why is he not crying at this movie? He's, you know, he must be a cold hearted person. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? So we, the, a lot of relationships especially if the basis of trust isn't there, especially if, you know, you, you've, there's attachment styles that play into it. There are your past relationship experiences that play into it. There's your, the relationship that your parents had that plays into all of the, the models that you make up, the stories that you tell yourself in your head of what a, a relationship should look like. And then if your partner is behaving in a certain way, you get triggered and you think they are this kind of person or that kind of person. Mm. And the work that I do just by looking at the personality type lens is explaining here's what's going on in, in your partner's brain. It's not that they're doing anything on purpose. It's because that's literally what makes sense to them. So I help couples communicate better and, and create more connection by encouraging them to ask why are you behaving in this way? What's in it for you? What is it that helps you make sense of this situation in that way? Or what meaning do you attribute to this particular, you know, behavior? Yeah, that's great. And I saw on your website that there's, there's an aha moment, right? When, when that awareness suddenly comes into play, how, how long does it take? Typically, how long does it take? How many sessions do you have with couples before (laughs) the aha moment arrives? I mean, it de- it depends on on how deep the the couple wants to go. So I have the there are various options. The um, type verification process or the self discovery process already gives you insights about yourself, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's the person you have to start with. So once you know who you are and what makes you tick and what ticks you off, that is the place to start, and then. Um, we have one couple session together where we go over the love profiles. And that is usually where we, like I said, compare how, who you are clashes or Mm -hmm. combines or competes or, you know, collaborates with the person that your partner is. And um, if the, the, the more open the couple is in telling me, oh yeah, yesterday we've had this discussion about, you know, X, Y, Z, the, the more able I am, to say, okay, and here's maybe potentially which type factors were at play there. So now that you know that, here's how you can practice a different behavior by mm-hmm. going into the, you know, the opposite of your preferences or by just adapting your, your natural behavior a little bit. Always, of course, with the caveat knowing that a relationship needs compromise. You can't have only one person that does all the, all the adapting and the shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and you know this, you've, you've uh, described this before as well. It's not that you, that you can't you know, do the opposite of what your natural preferences are. In your case, thinking you can absolutely do it, but you will feel tired more easily and you will, you know, get grumpy more easily. And then you need to compensate in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. Because as as you said, there are four functions, sensation, thinking, intuition, feeling, um, taking away extroversion, introversion. So intuition is my, you know, let's say arguably fourth preferred function. 
that one in particular can make me quite irritated, very tired, exhausted when I use it. Um, but introverted feelings, just effortless and, and sensation even more so. I mean, those first Mm -hmm. two are just pretty effortless. Uh, something that I'm looking at through my blog is, uh, the feeling function in the workplace and I'm exploring how, uh, the feeling function, uh, contributes to resolving workplace conflict. Uh, like you, I've got an HR background. I've worked in HR for many years and I've seen conflict in the workplace and I've managed, you know, grievances and complaints and mediation in particular, which I still do. I am. Um, and I'm always struck sometimes in the mediation process when you have two warring parties together that um, often you see the feeling functions being withheld or perhaps it's repressed or, um, yeah, if I use maybe more repressed, the individual just isn't showing any of that feeling function, whether it's introverted or extroverted, to the other individual. And that sometimes could be the thing that will lead to the conflict being resolved. Um, and this is an idea I'm, I'm trying to discuss with lots of organizations and I've had some interest and I think people, people do see the benefit, but I think with a lot of complaints in the workplace, procedure gets thrown into it. They just want to manage it through a procedure and, and get an outcome, but they don't try and understand why two parties are in conflict. And it could be sometimes just a clash of personality types, right? And, yeah. but I wondered whether, you know, if it, in your experience with in, with your work with relationships, does it ever come to a point where maybe the couple decides actually we're not right for each other? I think sometimes there's a misconception that there's certain types we don't get on with and we can never be in a relationship, but I, I'm not so sure. What's your view about that? And how do you deal with conflict when it, it really sort of rears its head in, in, in the relationship? Right. Um, that's a very good point, and thank you for bringing it up. Um, so that's one of the questions I get a lot. Um, what if we find out we're not compatible? And this is where I'd like to say that all types can do all work, all jobs, and all types can have relationships with one another. Again, it is my belief that once you have the awareness of what your type preference and what your partner's type preferences are, that means that you have a non-judgmental language to bridge those gaps and see and say, oh, look, you know, you're, and this is something that I've heard, you are effing all over the place, <laughs> right? Or you are teeing all over the place. This is, or you, this is, this is just your sensation talking right now. So right. the... Right. Again, the knowing where, knowing the four letters of your type preferences gives you an indication of the order that you develop those preferences in, mm-hmm. and that informs the, according to the BB model, also which of the functions is probably most stressful for you. So if your partner happens to have that function in a high, you know, higher up in their stack, which means they they can't not uh, use it, then the way that they are will stress you just by the virtue of, of things, because that's how you react to, to that the behavior that goes with the function. And understanding, again, that the partner is not doing that on purpose, it's because that is what makes sense to them. Yes. Should ideally take a lot of the sting out of it already. And again, this is then, then goes back to the next level of, is your relationship on a secure footing in terms of do you trust that your partner is not ticking you off on purpose, which means then, you know, are you ready and committed to working on it together and learning new ways to communicate and maybe, you know, practicing different ways to react? Because obviously when we're sick, when we're tired, when we're stressed, we go to what we know best. But um, in those other times, or maybe with hindsight, you know, the more you practice trying it another way that is not so triggering for your partner, hopefully mm-hmm. going forward, then, you know, there is um, an improvement of the situation. But of course, I mean, yeah, looking at reality, I don't know, what is it, 50% of first marriages and I think 70% of second marriages end in divorce. Don't quote me, but I think that's mm-hmm. a, a, a statistic that I read. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to, the, to your point about the Uh, relationships in the workplace because I've always done I've also done work with teams and you know leadership development you have 
type or personality conflicts at work every day because it's who we are. We bring our personality to work also. And um, especially in, you know, the, the industries have their own kind of type preference too. Mm -hmm. By the nature of the work that they do or by the, the image that they want to portray, you know, um, insurances, for example, Uh, tend to be more focused on stability. So if you have introverted sensing, kind of high up in your stack, introverted sensing is that thing where you rely on tradition, where you refer back to how things used to be done. Yes. And again, one of those, one of the products of the introverted sensation uh, function is stability. So you will likely be comfortable to work in an insurance type environment. Um, somebody like yourself with extroversion sensing would go up the walls oh, because yes, you would wonder why aren't we changing this why aren't we <laughs> right so yeah. so um so one of the reasons i'm a freelance consultant i i really don't think i could i could i could handle yeah. a permanent job because it would drive yeah. me nuts actually what happens is if you're if you really stress your lead function i think you become disruptive in the workplace and and i i literally become disruptive Because it's just not, yeah. no, I, I want to change things. I want to transform, improve, make things more effective. And I've worked with people who've got introverted sensing and they just look at me thinking, what on earth are you talking about? Mm. You know, we, we did this five years ago and now everything's fine. It's stable. It's, you know, they keep referring to uh, uh, the past, you know? Um, yeah, but that's the beauty. And, be and I believe it was um, Jung who said, a happy psyche is a balanced psyche. And just mm -hmm. like that, just like work teams, couples also, uh, you, you complement one another. You don't want to be the same because that means you have huge blind spots that neither of you will be able to see. And, you know, in the workplace, you, an effective team has to be diverse because you have yes. to cover all your bases. You can't have, you know, an engineer who writes this beautiful, perfect line of code, but then the user doesn't know how to apply it to their life. Yeah, so absolutely. you have to have all the functions ideally represented in a team, definitely, because, you know, you have more people to, to cover the grounds with. And in a relationship, even though it may or may not be easier to be with somebody who is kind of like you, like, you know, we are, the saying is we're attracted to, to the differences, but what keeps us together are the similarities. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, probably statistically true, but I'm also here to say, look, if you put your heart in someone and if you are committed then there is no perfect relationship out there anyway the things that you know romance novels and and movies and the okay. songs and they've been trying to sell us is false please don't fall into that trap it's always going to be work and it depends on on you know the tools you use that can make it easier and i think type is one of those tools that can that can make it easier Yeah, and I think one of the takeaways for our listeners is awareness, right? Self-awareness is so yeah. important. Yeah, um, a little goes a long and, way. Yeah, exactly. You can find yourself in conflict with, with someone at work or in a relationship, but just a little self-awareness will just completely change things, you know? Um, and you start to see the situation or problem in a, in a, in a totally different light. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm really in awe of, of what you do, and I suspect it's, you've touched my introverted feeling in some sort of way. Uh, I'm really in awe of what you do. I think it's just uh, amazing. Um, tell us a little bit, I mean, for our listeners, how can they find out more about your work? And is it mainly face-to-face -face or online? Tell us a little bit more about how our listeners could reach you if they wanted to explore uh, this kind of work. Sure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. First of all, I've had such a great time. Oh my God. <laughs> I haven't talked type in a while and it's, it's a bomb for the soul. So I oh. love it. I'm very happy. Um, yes. So um, if your listeners are in a couple and would like to explore their types, how they play together, you can go to yourloveprofiles.com. There is a uh, quiz on the top right-hand corner. If you click there that you can take 
just for some, uh, you know, basic information to, and a little fun. And then you can download a sample report as well. And, um, you know, there are FAQs on the page. I would encourage you to read through those. And if you are interested in working with me, there are lots of buttons that will lead you to schedule a free 20 minute, 30 minute call where we can, you know, hop on the on a Zoom and get to know one another because yes, all meetings so far are for the time being are going to be online. Mm -hmm. And um, then we can, you know, see if we vibe and talk a little more about what it is that you're looking for. And I did also want to mention, um, so sure. if s somebody does not want to uh, take the Myers-Briggs uh, assessment. And if you'd like to go on this uh, self-discovery, I have a course available on udemy.com. Mm -hmm. That's U-D-E-M-Y.com. If you look for my name there, uh, that is basically taking you through a self-discovery process. So it's, um, you know, um, an, an inexpensive way to kind of get a, a feeling for the interaction styles and, um, and essential motivator. Uh, frameworks that I use, Dr. Behrens's work. And yeah, you should also get a feel from me there because it's basically me on the videos taking you through this awesome. process. Wonderful. So, yeah. What I will do as well uh, for our listeners, I'll make sure I put in all that information in the uh, introduction to this blog and, and, and the links as well. So for those of you who, prefer, who may not have captured all that, you'll be able to read that in the introduction to this podcast. So thank you, Doris, for your contribution discussion. I'm, I'm so happy we finally managed to have our chat. This has been a, a long time uh, planning, but we finally did it. I'm really pleased. I hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast. Tremendously. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before I sign off? I'm yeah thank you for thank you again for having me this is great thank you all right everyone <laughs> thank you for listening subscribe to hashtag Jungian information at www.nicholastoker.com and be the first to read or listen to my latest blog thanks again for listening and see you next time <laughs>